Gospel reading today is found from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And this is the good news, the gospel of Mark. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, in your mercy and compassion that uh, the spirit of your son Jesus will be amongst us to teach us and to instruct us Lord, to deepen, if not only just a little bit, our understanding of your ways and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And we ask this so that Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, will be glorified in our midst. Amen. It's a, a tradition and it's a good tradition that the first Sunday of every Lent, every year in Lent, is that we read an account from one of the Synoptic Gospels of Jesus in the wilderness, yes, being tested by the devil. And this year, the account comes from Mark. And, um, it's very different than what we have in Matthew and Luke because we have no dialogue. Yes, we have no <clears throat> record of Jesus, yes, um, confronting Satan uh, with the scripture. What we have is just a very, very terse, very short <clears throat> description and yet is very powerful. And Mark brings a, you might say, a perspective that we don't quite find in any of the other three Gospels. Because basically, the Gospel of Mark starts off and it's a declaration of war. It's breaking news, right? War has been declared. And that war 
is first and foremost against the forces of evil and the demonic or the satanic. satanic. It's something old and it's something new. You may recall just a few minutes ago, Reuben read from Isaiah 64, in which people in a very desperate state, you know, pleaded with God, you know, to tear open the heavens and come down and bring us deliverance despite our sins. And their cry was, don't hide your face from us anymore. Well, this is exactly what's happening in Mark's gospel. Yes, the heavens are being torn open because when Jesus goes into the water and the Spirit comes upon him, the gentle Holy Spirit, yes, some people call the Holy Spirit a gentleman, others, yes, use the imagery as a dove, as our text does this evening. And what, what, does, what happens when the Spirit descends? It says literally in Greek, there's a violent tear, a violent rip. Yes, the heavens are torn open. The Spirit descends. By the way, when Jesus is dying on the cross, or as he dies on the cross, the temple, the curtain, yes, in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies is also torn open. Same Greek word. It's a violent rip, a violent tear, something sudden and dramatic. And so it's war. Again, war with the forces of evil. And the same spirit, that gentle spirit that descends upon Jesus, drives him or pushes him into the wilderness. He doesn't go willingly. He goes, you might say, being pushed by the spirit into the wilderness in order to be tested, but, in, but at the same time, in order to confront Satan, in order to confront the devil. And this is what, how Mark, how Mark helps us as to understand what's perhaps, at least from his perspective, and let's be careful. Matthew has a different perspective. Luke adds something. John adds something, but for Mark, it's war. It's battle. And Jesus will be pushed by God into the wilderness to be tested. And in his testing, he will not only confront the devil, but he will win a victory over the devil. Yes. Now the test, or what happens to Jesus in this gospel, is certainly, there's a long biblical tradition. Yes, Psalm 11.5 says, the Lord tests the righteous. The Lord tests the righteous. And uh, we don't need to know 
lot of Bible to recall that from the beginning, yes, God tests those that he loves and he tests those that he's going to put in places of responsibility. And sometimes it's not just one test. It might be a lifetime of testing. So we can first and foremost think of Abraham. And we can think of how Abraham was given God's promise to inherit the promised land. And yet Abraham is tested and he never fully inherits. But still Abraham doesn't lose faith. Yes, in the Jewish tradition, it's said that Abraham is tested 10 times with the first test being, yes, his call to leave his past and the last test being his call to give up his future by sacrificing his son Isaac. Pretty scary stuff. There's Isaac and Jacob. There's Joshua. The people of Israel are tested over and over again. The story of the Exodus is of a group of people testing God, but God also is testing them. David, Elijah, and more. And very often, where does God do the testing? God does the testing in a place that's actually quite frightening. Yes, quite life-threatening. A place of scarcity. A place of severe danger. And that's highlighted in our text when it says that Jesus doesn't tell us much. It just says that Jesus is being tested and he is with the wild animals. Now why is that, that little phrase thrown in? He is with the wild animals. Again, it's to highlight the dangers of the wilderness. It's to highlight the dangers of the desert. Now when God tests Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Joshua, Elijah, etc. None of Moses, none of them get up one morning and say, I think I'll go on retreat. I'll go to a desert place. I'll get close to God. I'll uh, uh, become intimate with him. I'll leave all the distractions of the world. Virtually in every one of the stories of God yes, bringing his saints to the wilderness, God somehow forces them or he arranges the circumstances for, yes, these biblical characters as to end up in the wilderness. And the wilderness, the desert, is again, it is a place scarcity there's no Amazon Amazon does not deliver yes not even the Amazon drone fleet yet can can bring you supply it is a place where one can easily 
easily get lost, starve to death, die of thirst, fall off the side of a mountain. It is a place of lawlessness. Generally speaking, at least historically, there's no police, usually no army, and no court system to make sure that there is justice. You can get away with anything, sort of like Las Vegas. You know, what happened in the desert stayed in the desert. It was also a place where you had wild animals. And the ancients were no different than, than the moderns, right? And we find a lot of wildlife quite frightening, especially in biblical times or in the second temple period when there were... <clears throat> when the land was full of bears or lions in certain places or crocodiles, poisonous snakes, which, you know, there was no remedy for a snake bite. Yes, place of great danger. It's interesting in Psalm 23, it's interesting in Psalm 23, which is a psalm written about the desert and not about the green hills of Wales or the green hills of Ireland, Scotland. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? David writes that psalm in the middle, yes, being a desert shepherd in the middle of scarcity, in the middle of danger. And the, at the end it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now what is... <clears throat> What is the valley of, <coughs> excuse me, what is the valley of the shadow of death? The valley of the shadow of death, if you can imagine a canyon like in Gedi or Wadi Qumran, uh, during the day the temperatures are boiling, right? 40 degrees, 41 degrees, 40. But what happens, yes, as the sun sets behind the hills in the west, is that wild animals come out. They come out looking for food. They come out looking for water. And the psalmist is saying, even though I walk through the valley at a time when there's uh, this danger, I will fear no evil because I know God is with me and he comforts me and he protects me. So Jesus being in the desert with the wild animals, right, again, emphasizes that his life is at risk, his life is in danger, and at the same time, he's being tested. Now, what's, kind of, what's interesting is, is that in this case, Satan, yes, is the agent of testing. God has allowed, and this theology can get a little complicated here, God has allowed Satan to test the Son of God. Interestingly, Adam was the Son of God. He was tempted by Satan and he failed. Israel was God's Son and it failed, yes, uh, after being tested many times. Jesus is also the Son of God, but for Jesus to be the perfect Son of God who can, right, not only die for our sins, but also defeat death and defeat the devil, right? Jesus has to be faithful. 
he has to be obedient, as we later will see in the book of Hebrews. And it's in his faithfulness and in his obedience, right, that Jesus is perfected, that he comes to a place of maturity or completeness, and he succeeds where Adam represents all of the human family, Israel, you know, failed, failed in the past. Just, and so we need to keep in mind that part of the core mission, part of what is core and central to Jesus, right? And this is bound up with the testing is indeed that he comes, yes, to um, confront the works of the devil. And I just remind you of John chapter three, sorry, first John three. And in, and in this portion of scripture in the epistle, it, sa it says the following, says the following. Um, it says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Destroy the devil's work. Sometimes we think, oh, he just came to save our soul. No, but the mission of Jesus is much bigger than that, right? He just came to help us get to heaven and have a nice, happy, meaningful life. That's how sometimes how we look at the gospel or look at the, the message and the life of Jesus. And at oftentimes we think of the healing or we think of his conf confrontation with the devil. We think of these things as, oh, as some kind of sideshow. But we don't often connect it to the bigger picture, right? The bigger picture is that, yes, God has torn open the heavens. He's no longer hiding his face. He has now come to rescue us, rescue us in our sin, but at the same time, rescue us from our enemies. Yes, and who are, what enemies do we have? We could say the Russians, the Chinese, the Americans, yes, Hamas, Israel, everybody can think of, no. Our fundamental enemy is first and foremost sin, but equally it's death and equally it's Satan. And Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, all of, it, all of this yes, is to rescue us you know, from the enemies that, uh, and the enemies that we have. So, Jesus is tested. Jesus is tested and he overcomes. Now in this in, in one case or, or, or perhaps from one perspective, people can and should ask, but why doesn't Mark tell us more? He's gotta tell us more. We wanna know what happened in the desert. We wanna know like Luke or like Matthew. 
And I think the reason that he doesn't have to add more detail, because even though Jesus was being tested for 40 days, you might say that the entire gospel, throughout the entire gospel, Jesus is being tested. It's one test, one stumbling block, one type of opposition after another. Again, you don't quite get the same sense, for example, in Luke, or perhaps even in Matthew. But again, Mark wants to highlight you know, the aspect of struggle, the aspect of battle. And so, where is the opposition? Well, the opposition is from Satan, and yes, the opposition is from political, the political system. The only gospel that mentions the Herodians, meaning those who were somehow in favor of Herod the Great. Of course, there's the religious establishment or some of the religious establishment even more painful and more difficult would be the family of Jesus who don't understand him and again try to oppose Jesus oppose Jesus from doing what? Well, how does our gospel open? Our gospel opens by John the Baptist calling us to walk in the way of the Lord make his path straight yes so walking in the way of the Lord, whether it's the political establishment or the religious establishment of the family, or even perhaps the most difficult, the disciples of Jesus who constantly don't understand him, who constantly are getting it wrong. Yes, and Mark does paint the harshest, you know, he paints the harshest picture you know, of, um, of the disciples. And we can ask, well, what was the purpose of Jesus being tested in all these things? And not every test originates from Satan or the demonic. We have to be really careful. But still, nonetheless, I think it's again important to see the, you might say, the, the, the demonic uh, somewhat in the background. And it is instructive that the first thing that happens in the gospel, the first action you might say, is, which is released in Mark's gospel, is that Jesus drives out an evil spirit in Capernaum. And then, Jesus heals many on Motzei Shabbat in Capernaum. When after the, the sun goes down and the, and the Sabbath is over, many come to Jesus, reading from still in Mark chapter 1. Yes, um, he heals uh, their diseases and he drives out many demons. And Jesus goes to, then Mark tells us he goes on on preaching tours and what is he doing he's preaching and driving out the driving out demons and he's also um, driving 
right? Confronting, confronting the demonic virtually on every page of the gospel. So again, Jesus is at war. Yes, Jesus is at war. And what is the purpose of him being tested? Well, testing as we learn in the, again in the, in the Bible, especially in the famous chapter in Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy chapter eight, yes? It has two functions. One doesn't apply to Jesus. Both apply to us. But the first is that um, God says to Israel, before you go into the land, I want you to remember that for 40 years, yes, I humbled you, yes, to, to test you in order that you may know what is in your heart. So testing is a form of investigation. Yes, what are, yes, what, what are the motivations that we live by? What, you might say, who are we? Who are we really? Yes, do we overestimate ourselves? Do we think we're something? Or do we think we're strong when we're really not? Do we even live by false humility? Do we live by, by some kind of false assumption? Until the rubber hits the road and we encounter difficulty, yes, we never know actually who we are and what we're made of. And we don't know our strengths and we don't know our weaknesses. Because to tell you the truth, it's basic human psychology 101 that we can look at ourselves in the mirror for 75 years and we will very rarely come to a, a fair and honest assessment of ourselves. There's something that we can't, we can't see ourselves and we can't see ourselves honestly. Of course, someone can come to me and meet me for a few hours and figure me out. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to do that. But it's when we encounter difficulty, right, that actually we can probably come to a more honest assessment of ourselves. But secondly, as we learn in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, testing is also a form of discipline. And because God loves us and he wants us to follow in the way of the Lord, to walk in, in that path after Jesus, yes, that he will oftentimes test us or use difficulty to put us back on the path, to put us back on the path. And these become the two, uh, become the two, you might say, two functions of, uh, of being tested. And again, oftentimes we can be tested by the devil, but not every time we're tested is it, 
is there something demonic or satanic in the background? Sometimes, and sometimes not. And so the way of the Lord, you might say, is a way of battle, is a way of battle, right? And the Lord calls us to participate in the battle, right? The Lord calls from the beginning, yes? He's asked Adam, starting with Adam in the garden, yes? to join him, to become his partner, yes, in God's original intentions for creation. And when God chooses Israel, doesn't choose Israel for, only for Israel's sake. He chooses Israel and he asks Israel. He gives Israel the privilege, yes, of participating in its work to bring blessing to bring blessing to the other nations of the world, which according to the book of Deuteronomy are under the control of the demonic. Yes. In the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, the way of the kingdom of heaven or walking in the way of the Lord, we're also invited, yes, into this battle that confronts evil. But we, Yes, cannot be soldiers in this battle or we can't take part in the battle unless we're trained. Otherwise, yes, otherwise you're, you're green and you lack training. Soldiers like this that go into battle, yes, it'll end up being a disaster. And the casualty rate will be, you know, extremely high just listening to a, a book about the Second World War in Italy, and as the Americans and the British are trying to inch their way up the Italian, the Italian uh, uh, countryside, they get all these Italian troops, uh, or Italian volunteers, and they want to join the British and the Americans, the Canadians, Kiwis, and uh, they're not trained but they're full of enthusiasm. And of course it ends up being a disaster and they take huge, huge casualties, right? Lots of enthusiasm, but certainly, certainly no training. And so we, yes, we will be tested. God will test us. It's a form of helping us come to a place of maturity it's helping us come to a place of perfection or wholeness, a place of holiness. And it enables us, right, to accept that invitation to walk in the way of the Lord, yes, and to take part, um, you know, to take part in the battle. And we can be assured as we, as students are not above their master, that we will be tested in the same way as Jesus, right? We will be tested, by the way, by the politics of our day. Yes, and we will be offered a shortcut 
or we will become entangled in maybe one form of idolatry or another. We will be uh, tested by powers and principalities. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean by some spirit, but I mean powers and principalities. In this case, this is, um, for example, this is the, the world system, the world political or an economic system, yes, or it's conventional wisdom, the conventional wisdom that comes from the world itself, or it's some kind of tradition, like we've always done it this way. This is the way it has to be, and you have to go along with it. That will test us, yes. We'll be tested by our, the religious system. And by the way, don't think it's just about the church and false doctrine. You know, um, when much of the Western world stops being Christian or stops, abandons the gospel, and leaves the church, they don't stop being religious. They just take on another religion it's a religion of secular, secularism or secular humanism or in the past has been a religion of Marxism or a religion of national socialism, right? There are all kinds of competing religious systems out there. They will test us. They will tempt us. Yes, you know, join me, go, come along. We'll solve problems much quicker. And there's the and there are friends and family, and uh, we will sometimes be tested. Yes, is our loyalty first to our family, or is it to Jesus? Yes, that will be a test. And you know, how do we overcome or confront? How are we victorious in, the t in testing? And I know all of us would like to say exorcism or we'll have worship or we'll find some, something, yeah? And it'll enable us to overcome the evil spirits or the demonic or the world system. Brothers and sisters, the first and foremost way which we overcome, yes, is just by being faithful and by persevering, even when things get difficult. Yes, and this is where he, I think the book of Hebrews helps us, right? Because Jesus himself endured testing, not just once, but a lifetime of testing. He is able to help us, yes, when we find ourselves being challenged, when we find ourselves, um, you might say, being tempted. And the verse, from uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is that for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God and that he might atone, make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those help us 
who are also being tempted, yes, or being tested, yes. In Hebrews chapter 5, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission or his faithfulness, yes, his perseverance. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. So, we, again, will be tested. And, some, and often we may find ourselves, yes, in dangerous places, risky places, in places where our identity and even our faith is being challenged. We may find ourselves with the wild animals. I'm speaking, of course, metaphorically. But God oftentimes will put us in that place in order to, yes, in order for us to come to an understanding, you know, who are we? What are we made of? How deep is our loyalty? Yes. Am I actually willing to persevere in a place of anxiety or uncertainty? Yes. And again, when we do persevere, we're able to, yes, participate with Jesus in the in the work of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know many people who listen to something akin to spiritual, spiritual warfare. Yeah. Spiritual warfare. And you know, often what happens, and it frightens me, is that people begin to gloat and they begin to become self-righteous and they become a bit triumphalistic and they take authority over all kinds of things that they have no business taking authority over. I take authority over the spirit of this religion or that religion. And people who do that oftentimes end up being attacked by the devil. Right? They come out from God's protection Yes. What is the motive? Yes. For wanting to join the Lord in battle. Or wanting to walk in the way of the Lord, right? To overcome testing or to overcome evil, the demonic, the spiritual forces, malicious spiritual forces. It has to be compassion. And it has to be love for those who find themselves trapped, right? They're either trapped by powers and principalities, the world system. They're trapped by human rebellion. They're trapped like many of the disciples are trapped because they don't understand the purposes or they don't understand God, who God is and what Jesus came to do. 
trap by the demonic? Oftentimes, yes, there's a form of idolatry in which people put their, began to put uh, their trust, yes, or to find their identity or their security in some form of idol, yes, or another. And we know that idolatry is a portal to the demonic. But it's out of compassion. And if you, again, read Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus heals and Jesus drives out demons, yes, out of compassion. And that certainly has to be our motivation as well. That we, we have a love for those who find themselves, yes, imprisoned or trapped. Cannot be done in any form of gloating or out of self-righteousness. Now I'd like to say just one more word where I think so many of us are being tested. And with so much going on around us and so much bad news, yes, whether it's personal, how many of us know people with cancer, how many of us, uh, I think most of us are aware of what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Ukraine, what might happen in Taiwan, what might happen in Korea, what's happening in American politics, right? It is so easy, yes, for us to fall into passivity, like, oh, there's nothing I can do, or to become cynical, or to become hopeless, yes, to become fearful. And uh, brothers and sisters, these are things that we must, you know, say no to and not allow ourselves to become passive and not allow ourselves to become overcome by evil, to lose hope or to lose confidence in the gospel. We cannot allow ourselves, yeah, to be, to fall into despair. And we cannot allow ourselves to to fall into this notion that it's all depending on me. Somehow, if I can get my act together, you know, and we can engage in spiritual warfare and preach and teach and stop doing this and stop doing that as a church, then there will be victory. Finally, can I just remind us that while we're called to participate, we're, some, we're called to self-denial, we're called to transformation. Sometimes we may be called to suffer. In the end of the day, it's the Lord who brings the victory. Yes, it's not dependent. It, it doesn't depend on us. We want his blessing and we want the, the joy of living a meaningful life and knowing that what we do actually will have eternal consequences for good, yes, then we participate with him. But ultimately, the victory is his. And the Lord, Jesus, 
yes, indeed will be victorious. Satan will be defeated. Death will be defeated. Sin will be conquered. Sin will be conquered. And all this mess, yes, all this, all these questions we have, how, how does all this, how does all this resolve itself? Yes, God will ensure that it does, it does resolve itself. And in the end, yes, he has the victory. And we're invited to share in that fight. And we're invited to share in the joy of that victory. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we're tested, many of us are tested. We pray that uh, you will strengthen us. That uh, we will um, be confident that you your son Jesus will help us as we pass through pass through difficulty. And Father, I ask that if we fall into temptation, if we fail the test, that you will enable us to repent and to return to the path or to walk in the way of the Lord. And that um, your, in your mercy, you will be compassionate to us your son will be compassionate to us as we lead uh, as he was to those he encounters, Lord, in his earthly ministry. We do ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.